0: Well, we are quickly approaching the end of our study of missions, and so it's important for us to see how, how missions should be played out in the local church. It'd be really cool if God was to call one of you to obedience to the Great Commission and, you know, and send you across the, the world as a missionary. That would be a really neat thing for our church. It would be a really neat thing for you. Most of what we've talked about so far looks at missions or, or the mission strategy from the missionary's perspective. The reality is that most, if not all of us, though, will not serve as a missionary um, on a foreign field. Most of us will, here this morning, will, will, will more than likely just be here and serve uh, in the local church. So um, it would be pretty cool if God raised up a missionary from our our church body. Um, But the reality is most of us will stay here. Since missions is a biblical subject, and since most of us will not be called to foreign missions, we shouldn't limit missions um, to only those on the foreign fields and pastors and educators. The Great Commission, as we've already seen, applies To all of us as Christians universally. We all have responsibility uh, in the Great Commission. So this morning I want us to consider how we can be actively involved in missions on the local church level. The question then is: how can we at Countryside Bible Church be involved in making disciples? Because remember, that's that is the, the key thing in the Great Commission how we at Countryside Bible Church can be involved in making disciples on the mission field without actually going to the mission field. The role of the local church in missions is is important because of the New Testament's emphasis on the local church. And so we can't think of foreign missions without connecting it to the local church. As I... um, Try to show you the model that we see in the New Testament ultimately is from the missionary is to, to go to make disciples with the idea that the church would be planted in that area. And then they learn and they, they're taught all that Jesus has in, and they're baptized and, we, and, and then that perpetuates itself and they continue doing it. So we, can't, we, can't, we have to connect it, I believe, to the, to the local church. And as I mentioned last week, the influence of pragmatism and tradition in our thinking requires us to continually bring ourselves back to God's Word for instruction on this. And that's where we find insight, instruction about how Country Church Bible Church's role should be in world missions. So today we're going to look at, we're going to look at four roles the local church plays in missions. Four roles, there could be more, but these are four key roles, I think, that we can see biblically. Uh, four roles the local church plays in missions. All of us sitting here today can can do these things. These are our responsibilities in, in the, the roles we play. In, in foreign missions. Number one, the local church prays for its missionaries. The local church must be actively involved in missionary prayer because prayer is, is an essential element in the believer's life. I mean, First, first Thessalonians 5.17 says that we are to pray without ceasing, right? So if we're to pray... Pray without ceasing then. Certainly that includes uh, praying for missionaries, right? First Timothy 2.1, Paul says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. So prayer is crucial in the life of any local church. The question then is how can we pray specifically for missions. What what are ways that we can specifically pray for missions? And the first one way is we can pray that God would supply missionaries. That God would supply missionaries. As we think of how the local church can pray for missions and missionaries, the first thing we can do is Pray that God would raise up and send out missionaries, even from this local body. I said earlier that probably, you know, the likelihood is that nobody will, but somebody could. And the way that starts is by praying that that God would raise somebody from this local body to, to send out. Turn to Matthew 9. And we're going to read verses 35 to 38. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Matthew 9:35 to 38. And follow along. Make sure you're there and I'm going to read it. And I want you to follow along with me. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed distressed, and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus says here he was moved with with compassion by the seriousness of the problems he was observing as he looked out onto the multitudes. The word compassion communicates some a very strong feeling or empathy so what was, what was it that he was looking, out, looking at when he looked out over the multitudes? First, he saw the condition of the people. He says in verse 36, he says, They were distressed and dispirited. This, ver, this phrase gives us two very pi- picturesque descriptions of the people. We can get a really good picture of why, why he had compassion on them. When we when we see that phrase, they were distressed and dispirited. Distress meant originally it meant to skin or fillet something, um, but it came to be used for any kind of trouble, or particularly one involving um, bullying or or oppression. People that were just oppressed. It's it's like one who's just totally vexed. They're 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 troubled to just totally troubled, they're totally uh, like afflicted or oppressed. That's the idea of someone being distressed. Dispirited meant literally to be thrown down and, 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 and so you're, it just, it, that's how the start of the word, is just meant to just be thrown down. It came to mean just downcast, just completely downcast. The idea, it has the idea of someone laying down, completely worn out, not able to go forward. They're just, they're just cast off, they're neglected, they're done. They're just, they're just done. And so that's that dispirited word. These two words combined give us a very dreary picture of the condition of the people. And that's what stirred uh, a strong feeling of compassion from Jesus. And really, when we think about that, that if, we're, if we see people like that, it should, really should stir us as well, honestly. Um, we should have that same compassion. So, so that's one of the things he was looking at. Second, he saw the failure of the spiritual leaders. Look at verse 36. He also said they were like a sheep without a shepherd instead of enjoying a shepherd's care and guidance they were just wandering wandering around completely distressed completely downcast we can see the same concern for moses in numbers 27:16 to 17 where he says may the lord the god of the spirits of all flesh appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Even worse, their shepherds were actually false guides. They, were, they really weren't shepherds at all. Leon Morris, in his commentary, the Gospel according to Matthew, said, Goats manage well by themselves, but sheep do not. Sheep without a shepherd points to a people who are in great danger and without the resources to escape from it. So this is what he's seeing. He's seeing a people who are in great danger and they have no ability. They have no resources to escape from it. Third, we see here that he shifts from this flock language to farm language. And saw a, a huge crop in the, in need of harvesting. Look at verse 37. He says the harvest. The phrase the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is trying to spread his compassion. And concern to his disciples. By pointing out how huge the task is. Is that's in front of them. It's gigantic. We could look at it as if we were looking out. Over a population of a. Of a big mega city. And it's just. It, that's the harvest. And you're thinking, how do I, how do I start there? I can remember um, being in, in Tokyo and we were looking at uh, this guy there that was going to plant a church in, uh, when I was in Kansas City. And we visited there and we climbed, we, we went up to the highest uh, building on the top floor and an, had a an, uh, place you could look out over the whole city, city of Tokyo and it was just, as far as you could possibly see, there was just people and buildings and people living on, t- on top of one another. And, and just, it was just amazing to see. And, um, and then you could look down and you could see literally thousands and thousands of people on the streets just, just going by each other uh, from that building. And and uh, looking over that, you could just see the vastness of the city, and I was thinking, where where in the world do we even start with planting a church in this in this place? Um, and so uh, it was it was just it was overwhelming, and that's kind of the picture here. Seeing the size of the harvest should motivate us to pray. He said there's a shortage of workers, verse 37. He goes on to say, the workers are few. The real point is that the harvest field is bigger than the workforce. So we should be praying for workers. I believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation. I believe in divine election. But these verses here, and in Romans 10, we've looked at those verses. Clearly they give us a picture of our responsible Responsibility, and they hold us accountable as well to obey and go out into the harvest. Verse 36 and 37 of Matthew give us the big incentives to pray. Then in verse 38, Jesus actually commands us to pray. He says, look at the word he uses here. It starts with a B. What's that word? Beseech. Yeah, it's a kind It's it's this word, it has this, I mean, it's just a great word that we don't use very often, but it's the kind of prayer that grows out of a, a sense of need. And so he uses that word. We can't pray like that until we can feel the compassion that Jesus felt and sense a burden that was on him as he was trying to reach the people. Clearly, God is clearly sovereign over the harvest. We know that. He's called Lord of the Harvest here, and the harvest is called His Harvest. So the goal of our prayer is very specific in verse 38. It says, To send out workers into His Harvest. The size of the harvest is great, and there's a shortage of workers. Therefore, the disciples must do something. The thing that comes natural to us is, in America especially is the something we're just going to work harder. And but what does Jesus command us to do? He says pray. Pray. Specifically he commands us to pray for more workers. If we're serious about the harvest, we'll be serious about praying that God will supply more missionaries. So we pray that God would sim- supply missionaries. That's the first thing that we can pray for. But, but also, we pray for the success of the missionary message. We pray for the success of the missionary me- message. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 is kind of a popular missionary text. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. The Word of the Lord is primarily primarily the gospel, but it can't be separated from the entire revealed word of God. The spread of the gospel is the spread of the Word, whether it's called uh, the Word of Christ in Romans ten seventeen or the word of reconciliation in Second Corinthians five nineteen or the word of God in 1 Thessalonians two thirteen. So it's a good reminder that the front line of God's work is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's the front line. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. In today's world of ministry, we seem to have lost the confidence in the effectiveness of the of God's word to convert the lost. We've lost confidence in the effectiveness of of God's word to conform believers into the image of Christ. But it's God's word. And I wonder if that's a lack of, uh, that, it, that it's a lack of our faith, if it's evidence of our lack of faith or, or a lack of prayer. I don't know. Paul prayed regularly for the progress of the gospel. And why did he do that? Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. to I think it's it's essential to continually pray that the Word of God would have victory in the lives of unbelievers because the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers according to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Somebody have that? Go ahead and read it. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the devil's blinded the eyes of unbelievers. Uh, turn to 2 Timothy 2 25 and 26. He's also taken them captive. Somebody want to read that? Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do as Yeah, so, so these are reasons why uh, we pray. We need to pray because the word will have no impact without the work of the Holy Spirit enlightening the eyes of those who hear it. So we pray. It's exactly what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says. It says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So we should be praying that the Lord's work through the Holy Spirit would empower the Word being preached or being taught to redeem the lost. So, uh, turn to Second or First Thessalonians two thirteen. First Thessalonians two thirteen. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Which also performs its. Work. This is a great verse because it shows us that the word is glorified when it's received for what it is, which is the Word of God, not the word of men. So we see we have a pattern we can follow as we pray for the work of missionaries around the world. That is, we should pray fervently that the word sh- would be proclaimed powerfully. And sinners would be saved so that the word would, be, would spread rapidly and is glorified. We should pray for the supply of missionaries for the spread of their message. So there's a lot to pray for just in those two things. We pray that God would supply missionaries. We pray that for the success of the missionary message. But we also pray for the safety of its missionaries. Turn back to 2 Thessalonians three one. I think I, I may have read that earlier. But go ahead go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 and 2. If you get there, go ahead and read it. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we... That we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Yeah. So Paul he also requests for the Thessalonians to pray for his safety. He was continually under attack from those who opposed the gospel. Uh, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. I want you to see what this says. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we can be sure that God wants us to pray for those on the front lines, missionaries across the world proclaiming the gospel. To the nations because they're engaged in a spiritual warfare as well um, and they really have they have real enemies that oppose anything that has to do with the gospel we see that in in many places across the world we see it here as well but um, it's it's very evident in, in other places across the world and places that are even closed countries not even allowed to share the gospel without being arrested. Um, There's a spiritual warfare going on. It's not just, um, you know, flesh and blood that we're we're dealing with, people who oppose the gospel. So the local church should be actively involved in praying for its missionaries. If we were just to do that only, we we would be engaged in missionary work. But we have another thing here we can do. The church prays for its missionaries, and number two, the local church sends out missionaries. Turn to Acts 13, 1-4. Acts 13, 1-4. This is Paul's first missionary journey. Now there were at Antioch in the church that were there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Good job with those names and the city names and the people's names there, yeah. This passage helps us understand that the local church's role in world missions and and has a very that is a very delicate balance between the divine and human aspects of sending out missionaries. Verses 2 and 4 show us that the ultimate agent in calling out missionaries is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who makes it clear that Saul and Barnabas are set apart for the work of missions. But we can't ignore the fact that in verse 3, the local church is the mediating agent in sending out missionaries. Saul and Barnabas were set apart by the church at Antioch with fasting and prayer and laying on of hands. Then the the text says in verse 3, they sent them away. It's the local church that confirms the call of God, call of God and they consecrate or dedicate or commission uh, missionaries for the task. So the, the, the ultimate agent in calling missionaries out is the Holy Spirit. There's a call there, but the local church is the mediating agent in sending out missionaries. Therefore, according to the New Testament model, I think that mission boards should exist to serve the church, the local church. Mission boards are implementing or executing agencies, not sending agencies. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but ideally we can see that's at least the, the New Testament model. Um, and uh, so, so the... Number two, the local church sends out missionaries. Number three, the local church supervises its missionaries. Turn to Acts 14, verses 28, 26 to 28. There's no big words in this one, so anybody can read it. Acts 14, 26 to 28. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with disciples. So here we see the, that the New Testament apostolic pattern was for missionaries to report back to those who had commended them by the grace of God for the work since it was the church of Antioch that sent set them apart to do the work it was to the church of Antioch that they gave their report 1 Timothy 3:15 tells us tells us the local church is the pillar and support of truth it carries the burden of persevering and uh, and preserving, and then, and then, um, perpetuating uh, the biblical Christianity. That's it's given to the local church. So again, for the New Testament model, I believe the local church has the re- primary responsibility for assisting the missionary and exercising loving accountability for the the actions and ministry of its mission missionaries. Now. That's if we were the sending church. I think we would have the primary, um, which is the example we see here, we would have that primary um, responsibility for assisting the missionary, for for providing accountability to the missionary for, for what their actions and ministries are on the field. So um, if we are not the sending church, then... We don't have that primary responsibility. We are not, we have one missionary here right now, and that is, he's in, he's in uh, Israel. We are not his sending church. So the sending church would have that primary, I believe, would have that primary uh, responsibility. So the church, the local church, prays for its missionaries, it sends out missionaries, it supervises its missionaries. But that's not all. Number four, the local church supports its missionaries. 3 John 3 through 8. 3 John 3 through 8. Go ahead and follow along with me and I'll read it. 1 John 3 through 8. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth... That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Verse 7 gives us two reasons to support missionaries. First, it says, they went out for the sake of the name. They weren't just people engaged in their own business affairs. They were men who went out for the purpose of furthering the cause of Christ. The name, it says. And second, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. They were going out to bear witness to him. For the sake of the gospel, they would not make themselves dependent on the Gentiles. In other words, they wouldn't make themselves dependent on unbelievers for their support. Local churches should support its missionaries who have gone out so that there will be no hindrances to the gospel message proclaimed by the missionary. Verse 6 gives us insight into the responsibility we have supporting missionaries. We are, according to verse 6, we are to send them on their way and we are to do it in a manner worthy of God sending them involved providing for their journey supplying food and money to pay for their expenses washing their clothes helping them travel as comfortably as possible that's that's in a manner worthy of god the idea in a manner worthy of god is that we would should treat these servants of god in the same way that we would treat god himself it's important And verse 8 gives us the result that supporting missionaries accomplishes. It says, So that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I love that. Because when we're engaged in supporting missionaries, when when we're really, really engaged in supporting missionaries, we actually become... A co laborer in the missionary endeavor. It is is really a a great thing to be engaged in supporting missionaries, not just financially, but we saw also in just providing for them, helping them, helping them in other ways. Um, This is what Paul said about the Philippians Philippians 1 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. They were engaged. They were were engaged with the missionary. First, uh, Philippians 4, 15 to 16. You yourselves also know Philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. We may not all be, all, we may not all be called to go out to the nations as missionaries, but we should all be using the resources God's given us for the purpose of seeing his name glorified and magnified through those who are called and those who have gone out. We, sh- we should do that. We can't all go. But we can be engaged in, in seeing that happen. So, let's, let's kind of conclude this. Number one, we must continue to have godly Dedicated believers who are fully committed to their local churches. That's us. That's everybody sitting here in, at Countryside Bible Church. Because the local church's role in world missions is to pray, we can all do that. To pray for missionaries, to send out missionaries, leadership is involved in that, to supervise missionaries. Leadership at the church at local level is involved in that, and to support missionaries, and that's all of us can be involved in that. But we must we must continue that. Number two, we must pray for the full scope of missionary needs. Uh, think of this in terms of our one missionary, what he's facing right now in in uh, in Israel. We pray for their supply for their success and for their safety. So all of those are needed in his, where he's at and in, in the situation that he's involved in, in the war that's going on there now. He's got a church. Many of his pe- people in his church have gone out to fight the war. Um, they're praying as a church for those people um, we can be praying for the people that are in his church that have gone had to go out to there, for the families that are left, but they certainly need for supply. Their church is going out to, to, do, um, to, to be able to help them by giving um, humanitarian-type needs like, like bottled water and food to the, to the people that are going out there. Um, They're doing that as a church to help them, and so we can pray for that. We can pray for their success as a church in sharing the gospel with Jewish people who don't believe in Christ, and certainly right now for their safety. So we as a church have the privilege and the opportunity to do that, so we should Remember, it isn't someone else's responsibility. We, as a part of the local church, need to take seriously the responsibility to send missionaries out, to provide for their needs in a, any way that we can, to love them as one of our own, to love them like we would, would love and care for anybody sitting here if they had an issues or, or, or needs. And to keep them accountable to the task of making disciples in the place where God has placed them. It's up to us. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's ours. Number three, pray specifically for Countryside Bible Church as we become more active in pursuing missionaries to su- support and care for. And then pray about how we can best help supervise those missionaries we support. Again, we're in our case, we're not the sending church. We don't have the major responsibility of that but we do have some say and so um so we just we need to pray about how we best can super supervise those missionaries and if god were to raise somebody up out of this church then and we were to send them to the field then we would have that main response that ultimate responsibility there number four pray for your elders as they make decisions about missions in general as they further develop Countryside Bible Church's mission strategy and future missionary support. Hopefully we'll have more than one uh, going forward at some point, but uh, for now that's who we have. I didn't put this on the list, but I also believe that visiting a missionary out there on the field where they're at is another thing we can do as a church. I think it helps the missionary, it encourages the missionary. If we can go um, and uh, even just go to help them do anything, um, it encourages them. It encourages them when they can share their work with us, Uh, but it it shows us how they live, how they interact with the culture that they're living in, it shows us their ministry. It shows us the people they minister to. We get to know them. It gives us firsthand experience of how we can pray for the missionary and stay engaged with them. Friend of mine at Mission Road Bible Church, his name is Jeff Brown. Jeff was a very successful businessman in the financial world and he um, he was actively engaged in our church there, and we uh, we had I organized a church history tour, and we went um, to we went from Italy to uh, Germany to um, to Switzerland, Geneva, and uh, and we 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 just went all around as a and we took a group of people we had about twenty from our church Jeff was one of those people and Jeff we would we would talk about the things I've just talked about uh, supporting missionaries and how we as a church can do that and we would we would just you know kind of make that a a mantra of what we do as a church but but we took these this group and Jeff was one of those people and uh, Jeff went from place to place and we were in Geneva and every place we went, we had a missionary there. And so we had the missionary take us around and show us what they were doing, show us the country, how, how the country was, how the culture was, um, and then what their ministry was. We met people there that they minister to, all of those things. And one of the things I like to do when I go to those fields, if, if they're available, is go to a coffee shop. And so um, we were. I was sitting at Starbucks, Starbucks of all things, at uh, in Geneva, with Jeff. And he says, "Bob, I need to tell you something." He said, "I, I have heard you guys talk about praying for missionaries um, for years." And he said, "I must confess, I have never once prayed for a missionary, not once." Heard you guys praying. I've been in church when you guys were praying. I personally have never prayed for a missionary. But now that I see what they, what the field is like, where they minister, how they, the, the hardships that they have, even in a place like Geneva where you would think, oh, that's not, that's no big deal. But it's a, but it's a lost place. People are just lost there. It's, there's very few believers in that area of the world. It's right on France and uh, Switzerland. We come together there, and uh, he said, "I will pray for a missionary every day going forward," and he has. And uh, that was probably five years ago, and he has. And he's became he's become a, a very huge, um, a huge part of the missions at Mission Road Bible Church, and he's gotten engaged. He's 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 gone to London and worked in the, on the um, doing, doing evangelism in the, in the tubes, the tube system of, uh, of London with the local church there. And so um, I say all that to say that if we ever have an opportunity to go and visit the mission field, you ought to consider it. Because you will come back a different person. You will, you will come back just a different person in seeing what, what missionaries go through. And the hard, hard, it's hard. Like we at least have our culture. And our, you know, we're Americans at heart. And so we do things like Americans do. And um, is even as bad as, as America seems to be getting, it's still America. And when you get on the foreign field, it's not. And so you have no family with you, you have no just it just goes on and on, but seeing that, hearing them and seeing their joy for what they're doing and uh, and, and we we end up we go to encourage them, and we end up being encouraged, uh, or they end up being encouraged, we end up being encouraged. that comes back to the church it it grows within our own local body and and mission starts becoming um something that is exciting to the local church. Well, I next week will be our last missions class. And we have a worldwide missionary in our midst here, um, world-famous um, Ruth Doherty, and uh, that is Faith's, Faith Gertzen's sister. And she's been all over the world in some very, very dangerous places, and uh, in closed countries where the gospel cannot be shared without being arrested, maybe even killed. Um, uh, but I'm going, I'm going to interview her next week. I'm going to bring her up here and, uh, and uh, interview her. She can't be that preacher because she's a woman, but she can do other things, and she has done many other things um, in conjunction with um, a lot of other things that are going on on the on the missions field, and so um, I think it'll be exciting for you to hear her testimony, her heart and love for um, being on the foreign field, um, and some of the places that she's been to. We would never want to go to. Like if if you said uh, today or in the midst of when we were in the United States was in Afghanistan fighting. Um, why don't we just go take a trip to Afghanistan? Like, how many of us would do that? Nobody. And yet she was, she was there and uh, doing work. And um, in other places, too. Middle of the jungle, which that Well, I'll, I'll, I won't give it all up. So I'll let her tell you, tell you the story next week. But that's what we'll do next week. Um, and then the following week is Christmas. We won't have Sunday school. And then we'll have one last thing that we'll do to kind of get us into the to the new year all right let me pray for us we're going to get out a little early father thank you for the day you've given us I do pray that you would help us as a church we have we have so many things that we can do as a church that maybe we don't go to the field but we can we can do so many things and so give us a heart for those that are on the front lines, missionaries in foreign fields who are trying to carry out the Great Commission work. Give us a heart for them, uh, so much that we pray for them. We, we support them in every way we can. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.